On episode 568 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Mary Newport and discuss her book, Clearly Keto, for healthy brain aging and Alzheimer's prevention. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 567. If you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, and fitness nutrition, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. Before we get going with this episode, I want to tell you a secret. I'm about a week away from launching a special workshop with early bird pricing and special bonuses for quick action takers like you. More details are coming. If you want to make sure you don't miss it, you need to join our Facebook group at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group with weekly challenges, health and fitness tips, behind the scenes looks, and to be the first to know, you should be a part of this group. 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group. Hey, Raz. Hey, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Uh, kind of dealing with a stomach bug. So I've, mm. I've kind of laid low the last few days and done most of my things from here at uh, Lula's in our apartment. Mm -hmm. As you see from the video, we have, yeah. I'm in my um, studio, my uh, fitness studio here at, at Lula's. And so I'm trying to, I'm staying here because I, I don't want to be more than maybe 10 feet away from a bathroom. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so just trying to stay hydrated, uh, you know, taking some uh, Imodium and things like that to kind of get myself to a point where I can get through this thing, uh, deal with this little bug. But, you know, it's, it's the thing. But yeah, well, I hope you feel every, better soon. Thank you. But everything's great. I, I can't. Good. How are things Good. with you? Good. You know, I just wanted to update you and our listeners real quick. I've shared that Mike, my husband, Mike, um, has been battling kidney cancer and our surgery is slated. It should be in another week or so. And they're going to remove his whole kidney and the nearby lymph nodes and adrenal gland. And um, his pre surgery, um, EKG and blood work. He had one more CAT scan, which showed the tumor um, shrunk, which is great. Everything is looking good. And um, so I hope to have some good reports in about a week or so. But yeah. I wanted to share real quick too that we um, were talking to the oncologist. And of course, all surgeries are high risk and it's always scary to go under the knife. But our doctor assured Mike that he was a pretty healthy patient. He's of good weight. He His blood pressure is controlled. He um, is in good shape for surgery. And so it was really nice to hear that reassurance from the doctor that all that we do with our running and our dietary choices and everything has made him healthy enough to be able to manage a pretty big surgery like this coming <laughs> up. So it was just nice to hear that reassurance. So if, if the oncologist feels good, then, then we feel good. So okay. good news. Mm -hmm. Good. So Mike's fit, trim, ready to yep. go. And we are 
Dicks dig scars. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we're very right. optimistic. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, so you ready to talk to Dr. Newport? Sure. Our guest today was educated at Xavier University and the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. She is board certified in pediatrics and neonatology. She practiced neonatology in Florida for 30 years and was the founding medical director of two newborn intensive care units in the Tampa Bay area. More recently, she has practiced at the opposite end of the spectrum, providing care for hospice patients in the Tampa Bay area for nearly three years and in-home health risk assessments thereafter. She writes and speaks in the United States and around the world on ketones as an alternative fuel for the brain for Alzheimer's and other disorders. Her previous books include Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure?, The Story of Ketones, The Coconut Oil and Low-Carb Solution for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and Other Diseases, and The Complete Book of Ketones, A Practical Guide to the Ketogenic Diet and Ketone Supplements. With no further ado, here's Dr. Mary Newport. Dr. Newport, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Oh, hi, Alan. Thank you so much for having me on your program. So the book we're going to talk about today is called Clearly Keto for Healthy Brain Aging Mm -hmm. and Alzheimer's Prevention. And the one thing I would say is, you know, I think cancer scares everybody to some extent, as it should. Uh, But the numbers that we see for Alzheimer's cases and particularly the forward-looking statistics on what that's going to look like in 40 years, uh, 30 years, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. I think everybody knows somebody or has a family member, you know, that's been dealing with Alzheimer's. Yeah, and, and you know, the, I come from kind of a long-lived family. So my, on my, mm-hmm. my father's side, uh, my grandfather lived into his mid-90s, not well, but he, he did live. Yeah, uh, yeah. My grandmother lived into her late 80s, but towards the end, I think she was also starting to suffer from some dementia mm-hmm. issues. Uh, in fact, the last time I saw her, I don't think she recognized me. She thought I think she mm-hmm. thought I was my father because just the way she was carrying on and, and talking and things like that. I think she had confused me. So this is just one of those topics that right. I'm like, OK, if I can figure this out, I'm going to feel a lot better about getting yeah. old. You know, that whole uh Growing, growing old and together, uh, you might not be together. Right. You might not be together. That's what happened with me <laughs> yeah. can, and my husband, right? Can we, yeah. Can we talk a bit about Steve's case yeah. and, and, and what yeah, happened yeah. there? Yeah. So uh, you probably mentioned already with my biography that I'm a physician. I uh, practiced newborn intensive care for 30 years and Steve was an accountant and it worked out perfectly for our family because he stayed home with our children. He could work from home. He was the original Mr. Mom. <laughs> and he was a perfectionist. He was into kayaking. He read novels. But when he was 51, he started having memory issues. And I thought maybe it's just a midlife crisis. He would miss appointments. He started shuffling around his accounting work. Like a quarterly re- a tax return was fairly simple for our practice. It should have taken him 20 minutes and it would take him several days. And he would shuffle everything around and procrastinate. And it was becoming worrisome. And then he started forgetting if he'd been to the bank and the post office and he would misplace mail. And that was bad because it was, you know, checks that people were sending in for payments <laughs> that he would misplace. So we he saw a neuropsychiatrist who evaluated him and said, This could be dementia, but more likely it's depression. And Steve was depressed. 
but retrospectively, most likely he was depressed because he w- he knew he was not functioning well and that something was wrong. He was put on an antidepressant. We, we you know, continued to get worse over the next few years. Driving, getting terrible, couldn't follow a map, was losing his accounting skills slowly but surely. You know, they always say, use it or lose it. He was using it. He still lost it. I mean, that's how Alzheimer's is. And he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. At this point, when he first started having symptoms, he was 51. He was diagnosed at age 54 already. So that's early onset, younger than 65 is considered early onset. And it's maybe one to 2% of people with Alzheimer's are early onset. So this was, um, as you were saying, you hope to um, live out into old age, you know, with your partner and as I'm researching Alzheimer's at the time, I'm finding out the average lifespan is about seven years after diagnosis. And I thought, well, we're not even going to get to retire together. So that was, you know, just put a very big damper, you know, on our future. And so, you know, constantly looking for clinical trials or anything, you know, we were always told... (laughs) by the Alzheimer's Association that we were within five years of a cure. We heard this over and over every year. We're within five years of a cure, you know, donate, we'll, you know, the research, but we were always watching for clinical trials and they were kind of few and far between in our area. Um, where We live north of Tampa in Florida. And so, uh, but he continued to progress. He, by age 56, he had lost all of his accounting skills. <laughs> he had worked on a computer all day, every day, and he'd play on it when he wasn't working on it. Always had to have the fastest computer. But at age 56, he couldn't even figure out how to turn it on or use, much less use a mouse or do any accounting work. He also had to quit driving that same year. It's hard to think, you know, after diagnosis, somebody with Alzheimer's still driving, you know, but people do, you know, until they can. And I mean, it's a very slow process. There's an awful lot you can do for a long time. Um, A lot of people socially don't realize that you have a problem. And we kind of, you know, it changes how people look at you once you tell them. So we were not aggressively telling family and friends that he had this diagnosis, you know, right away. But at, you know, age 57, so about six years into symptoms, he stopped being able to make meals for himself. He would just not eat when I was working. So um, our daughter, younger daughter, Joanna, ended up uh, moving back in with us and she would be with him in the daytime when I was working and make sure that he ate and that type of thing. But in uh, 2008, when he was 58, he was, it just felt like he was spiraling downward. You know, I, I was pretty much giving up hope that we were gonna, you know, come across that cure. <laughs> And we had already, a couple of years before that, switched to a Mediterranean diet, Mediterranean-style diet. Uh, I had read some research that the people who ate the most Mediterranean-like diet that had Alzheimer's lived on average four years longer than people who ate the least Mediterranean-like diet. I said, okay, well, maybe this will buy us some time. And, and that was the first I had even considered that nutrition might have anything to do with Alzheimer's. So... And I was keeping my eyes doing like wider searches, you know, thinking of nutrition and other factors, you know, that we might be able to address that possibly help him. But so when he was 58, this was in May of 2008, two clinical trials became available in our area. And we're like, oh my gosh, 
you know, and maybe he'll qualify. And uh, like in previous um, studies, you would be disqualified if you had a history of depression. And it's like, if you were had early onset Alzheimer's and you knew it, wouldn't you be depressed? Who wouldn't be depressed? You know, so, but this, these two did not disqualify you if you had had depression. This was really the, these were the first studies that came along in our area that had those criteria. And so he was scheduled for two days in a row to try out, you know, to be tested, to get into these clinical trials, two different centers, two different cities. And the night before, I thought, I'm going to look up these two drugs and uh, look at the risks and the benefits because we might get a choice. If he qualifies for both studies, we would have to choose. So I came upon a press release for a medical food that was going to come out in about a year from then. And they had done a pilot study in which nearly half of the people who had taken it had improved memory and cognition after one dose. <laughs> and uh, this was something you never hear improve with, with any drugs for Alzheimer's, that it improves memory or cognition. It might slow the disease down for six months or so. So I, it didn't say what it was or what it did, you know, how it worked. So I was able to find a patent application and I read through that and I learned a whole lot about um, Alzheimer's as a type of diabetes of the brain, which I think we'll talk about in a few minutes. And that ketones are an alternative fuel for the brain. And that one of the things that happens in Alzheimer's is that there's decreased glucose uptake into certain areas of the brain. And, you know, uh, glucose is a fuel. It's, it's the basic fuel if we're eating a typical higher carb American diet, you know, we're running off glucose, you know, most of the time and our brain in particular, you know, is running off glucose. But if you have a problem getting glucose into cells, you can have, you know, the cell can be surrounded by glucose, but it can be starving because the glucose just literally cannot get into the cell and provide the fuel that the cell needs to produce energy, this energy molecule called ATP. But it was discovered in the 1960s that when you starve or fast, that you use up the uh, glucose that's stored in your body fairly quickly within 36 or 48 hours. And when that runs out, then you start breaking down fat and you break down some muscle too, possibly to make glucose. But since we have fat, uh, we can break down fat and some of that fat is converted to ketones, which are taken up very well by the brain and can provide fuel to the brain. So uh, this was really a neat idea. I thought, this is cool. And where the medical food came in, it turned out it was MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride oil. It was a very specific medium chain fatty acid. And what happens, uh, they also found this out in the 1960s, when you consume MCT oil, your liver converts part of it to ketones. So it's kind of a neat trick to bypass that problem of glucose uptake in the brain. And, and I thought, oh my God, this is brilliant, brilliant idea. And I remembered, you know, this thing about ketones and starvation and, and MCT oil converted to ketones that kind of refreshed my memory, you know, from medical school, I had heard about this. So in the patent application, I learned that um, MCT oil is actually extracted from coconut oil, which is the richest natural source of it. And so I thought, okay, uh, I knew MCT oil. I thought it might be available in hospitals. I wasn't sure if I could even get it, but I knew I could get coconut oil because I had seen it in health food stores. So at this point, you know, I'm reading about all of this and it's about 1 a.m. and he's, he's set up to screen at um, 9 a.m. that same day. And so I didn't have time to do anything about it. 
we went to the screening. It was in uh, Tampa, oh, Florida. No, actually, I'm sorry. It was in St. Petersburg, Florida. And he did terrible. <laughs> there was a mini mental status exam. He needed to get 16 out of 30 points correct to qualify. They were looking for people with mild to moderate Alzheimer's. He scored only 14. Um, so he did not get accepted into the trial. And the doctor asked him to draw a clock. And that's a very specific test for Alzheimer's. And I have it here. I know you're not going to be showing the video on the book, but you know what he drew. <laughs> so you can see it. A few little random circles and a few numbers, four numbers. It was very disorganized. And the doctor said, he's on the verge of severe Alzheimer's. And I kind of knew it, but that really hit home. And I thought, what do we have to lose? I'm going to go get some coconut oil. And so we we bought that on the way home. And then I kind of refreshed my um, uh, freshman biochemistry, what are medium chain fatty acids. And then I found the fatty acid composition of coconut oil. And I learned that it was 60% medium chain triglycerides. And uh, I figured out how much coconut oil I would need to give him to equal what he would get with that medical food that wouldn't be out for a year. And so the next day he was scheduled again for uh, a testing for, you know, a different clinical trial, a different location. And uh, we tried, you know, we went over uh, what is the season? What is the day of the week? He couldn't remember any of that on the way there. The testing was about three hours. Well, he, uh, I put a little over two tablespoons is what it added up to in oatmeal in the morning. He had that for breakfast. And then about three hours later, he was tested. And he actually gained four points from the day before, which was really surprising. And he qualified for the study. And I thought, okay, well, either we just got really lucky or maybe this actually did something, um, this coconut oil, and I'm going to just keep it going. And so the next day and every day after that, I would give him a little over two tablespoons of coconut oil. But I, I thought, you know, why would you only use one dose, uh, you know, in the patent application? The peak level of ketones was about 90 minutes after taking the MCT oil, and the, it was down at three hours. So I thought, well, what does your brain do the other 21 hours? Your brain needs fuel 24-7, even when you're sleeping. Your brain is extremely active and, and uses a, a lot of calor uh, calories, a lot of energy. So. I just started cooking with it throughout the day. I got like every recipe I could get my hands on and he was getting it, you know, basically at every meal, you know, from that point on. And and just over the next few days, he seemed, he had several symptoms that improved, you know, pretty dramatically. And I mean, he himself said that the day he started coconut oil, that it was like a light switch came back on in his brain. And, it, it, you know, before the coconut oil, he would be very sluggish in the morning, you know, and his gait had become abnormal. He would pick up his feet kind of higher than normal and walk very slow. He couldn't run anymore, even though he looked physically fit. He had tremors. He, his jaw would tremor when he tried to talk. His hand would tremor when he tried to eat. He had trouble finishing sentences. He couldn't figure out, like he'd go to the drawer to get a spoon and he'd come back with a knife over and over and over. He'd do that six times before he'd finally get the right utensil. And after the coconut oil, he just, he had more energy. He was more talkative. He started whistling again. You know, he was a great whistler. He whistled these great medleys, um, making jokes, and he could get the utensil. And by about the fourth or fifth day, we're like, you know, something has changed. Something has changed for the better. This might actually be working. And 
So I was, you know, in the meantime, researching everything I could about ketones. And I started, uh, I called Dr. Richard Veet, who was a world-renowned ketone expert. Sadly, uh, he passed away in early 2020 at age 84, still working at the NIH, but he was considered the world expert on ketones. He had been studying them for decades and he had been working on a ketone ester that could greatly increase ketone levels, uh, much more than coconut oil or MCT oil. He sent me all kinds of like hypothesis papers that he and others had written. He had uh, some of his um, associates who had written uh, papers who were interested in ketone research call me. It was really kind of amazing, you know, when I told him what happened with Steve. And well, at two weeks after that clock, you know, so about two weeks after he started the coconut oil, he drew another clock. And this time it had a whole, the full round circle. All the numbers were there. They were in the right order. It was kind of, it was really messy. <laughs> there were a lot of hands of the clock, but it was so much more organized. And uh, Dr. Veach, I, I faxed him the first and second clocks. And he was, he said, this is unexpected. He thought it would take much, much higher ketone levels for anybody with Alzheimer's to improve. So, you know, and then Steve just kind of progressed after that. I probably should let you get a word in edgewise. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, the, the interesting thing here, and, and this is kind of was kind of my takeaway is, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes we're faced with tragedy. Right. And, and then we have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And and I just appreciate that your choice was to help anyone else that you can mm -hmm. by sharing information about mm -hmm. Steve and mm -hmm. his story. Yeah. And then, again, some of the stuff that's happened since would probably would have never happened if you hadn't mm -hmm. done what you did and then reached out. So it was just not just, oh, I found something that works mm -hmm. for my husband and mm -hmm. we're good. Yeah. It was, okay, I'm going to share this with the people who are doing these studies, with people who know people that are doing these studies. Yeah, so yeah. there's some proposed studies that are actually going to give us good information right. because it's so hard to get a food mm -hmm. study funded. It is. You it know, is. and the, the people that were going to do it, it I'm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming maybe they got their, their product released at some level, but mm -hmm. they did it because they had a product. They, they did mm -hmm. it because they were going to sell something. Right. Uh, and you just did this because you saw it was helping Steve and mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. helping people yourself now. So yeah. I just want to yeah. thank you for that. And, and oh, I'm sorry that welcome. we lost Steve at, at some point here. But, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I know that you made his life as good as it possibly could have been in the particularly in those last years uh, with this treatment. So I want to take a step back because mm -hmm. we've talked yeah. about a few things. And I've said this a few times on the show because I've read it, mm -hmm. that Alzheimer's is sort of like, it's sort of like diabetes type three, if we wanted to, you know, some people call it that, but it's basically right, an right. issue with, it's an issue yeah, with the brain getting energy. So with us having difficulty getting energy to the cells in the brain, mm -hmm. we call it glucose uptake. Can we talk about a little, just a little bit more detail of, okay, what's going mm -hmm. on in there? Cause you know, I, I know there's the tau strands and there's mm -hmm. the amyloid uh, structures yeah. and all those things. But yeah, the those are, yeah, those yeah. are the, the but those are the outward symbols of what's going on. The inward chemical stuff is mm -hmm. where the real magic is because you just got to find a way to fuel right. those brain cells. Can you talk about right. a little bit about how that happens? Because you 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 talked a little bit about yeah. ATP, but we really didn't get into. Uh, I've always known of it as the Krebs mm -hmm. cycle, but you used right, a, the Krebs uh, cycle. Yeah, you yeah, used TCA a cycle word. is yeah. another yeah yeah word yeah. Can and you talk citric a acid about cycle that? is another yeah yeah, yeah so. Uh, basically, well, I think a lot of people know that insulin is very important. Insulin has to do with getting glucose into cells. It 
in the brain, it's it's somewhat more indirect. It's it's indirectly involved, but it's still involved in um, some insulin does cross the blood brain barrier. They there it used to be thought that insulin was not made in the brain. It didn't cross into the brain. It had no nothing to do with the brain, but it turns out it has everything to do with the brain. <laughs> it actually does cross the blood brain barrier. It's just much lower levels than what are present in our blood. But in Alzheimer's, there's a problem that seems to be related to insulin resistance and insulin deficiency. There are some researchers that have found evidence that insulin is made in the brain. They don't know exactly where in the brain yet. But, you know, with Alzheimer's, 10 to 20 years before you begin to have symptoms, there's already this problem of glucose uptake in the brain being defective. And it's uh, part of it is glucose actually getting into the brain itself is uh, depressed. And that seems to be related to insulin in some way. And then glucose getting into cells, um, there are glucose transporters. So these are molecules that are kind of openings, I guess, in the cell membrane that allows glucose to enter a cell. And the ones that are involved in glucose getting across the blood-brain barrier into the brain and into brain cells are deficient in Alzheimer's. There's another problem. There's a complex called um, PDH complex one that is right at the level of mitochondria, which are factories where ATP is made. Uh, We have like anywhere from 100 to 1,000 or so of these mitochondria in a cell in which energy is produced, but also like thousands of proteins are produced in these mitochondria as well. And the PDH complex is required for glucose to actually be, uh, it's converted, there's like six steps, you know, uh, and then it has to be converted to um, pyruvate uh, to enter into that TCA cycle, which is located in the mitochondria. And this complex is deficient as well. And uh, there's a, a thing called mitochondrial dysfunction. That's that's one area of study that hasn't gotten as much attention as these plaques and tangles that you mentioned. But, you know, basically, there seems to be a problem with insulin resistance and insulin deficiency that affect glucose getting into the brain, getting into these mitochondria where ATP is made. And Dr. Stephen Cunade in Canada has done an incredible amount of work. He's at Sherbrooke University, and he and his associates have been studying this very intensively. And they have been using ketone and glucose PET scans. They've studied over 300 adults of all ages, including many healthy adults, healthy older adults, people with mild cognitive impairment, which precedes Alzheimer's, and people with Alzheimer's. And they have found that there is what he calls a brain energy gap. So there's a gap between how much energy the brain needs and how much it actually gets. And this is present even in people who test normal in their 70s, cognitively normal. There's a gap of about 7 to 9% between how much energy the brain needs and how much it actually gets. And in people with mild cognitive impairment, that widens to 10 or 12%. In people with Alzheimer's at the earliest stages, it's 20%, a 20% gap between how much energy the brain needs and how much it gets. And, you know, it just continues to get worse as Alzheimer's progresses. So uh, that's a very interesting finding. And then along with that, he has found that, that ketones are taken up normally in these same areas of the brain that are affected by Alzheimer's. 
And it supports this idea that Dr. Veach had back in the 1990s that ketones could possibly help um, somebody with Alzheimer's. And he he's, has tested MCT oil, which is uh, the medical food, you know, that uh, I read about in that uh, press release. And he has found that MCT oil does contribute to increased fuel uptake and energy production is, you know, from ketones. And it also improves cognitive uh, performance in um, people with mild cognitive impairment. He did a six-month study. Um, They received two tablespoons a day of MCT oil. After the study, uh, he told me that um, he felt like three tablespoons a day would have been even better, that they might have gotten even better results. But they did all five cognitive domains that they studied. There were improvements in these people. And the, the level of ketones they produced from the MCT oil was sustained throughout the six months. It wasn't that their body adjusted and they weren't making ketones anymore. They were. They actually were making the same amount as, you know, when they at the beginning of the study. So, you know, basically, it, insulin resistance is a big part of the problem. It's uh, something that happens with aging, but many, many people develop prediabetes, And diabetes, um, by age 75, about three quarters of people have either diabetes or prediabetes. So it's very, very prevalent. Um, It doesn't always affect all organs in the body. So somebody might not have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, but they can still have diabetes of the brain. So the insulin resistance can affect the brain directly. And this seems to be a really big part of the problem. So it's, you know, insulin resistance, not allowing glucose into cells, and then the brain needing some kind of fuel, you know, to fill in the gap, you know, from glucose and ketones can fill that in. So it's kind of a, a neat idea using you know, ketogenic strategies, so to speak, yeah. that will increase ketones could help overcome both of those problems, the insulin resistance and um, filling in the brain energy gap. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Athletic Greens the makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because I realized I wasn't getting a broad enough variety of vegetables in my diet. We get good quality vegetables where I live, but limited types. And even if you get a good variety where you live, current farming practices might degrade the quality. It's hard to get both. I chose AG1 because it is sourced from whole food ingredients. And Athletic Greens continues to research and reiterate AG1 based on current science. In 12 years, they've improved it 52 times, and they're not stopping there. It's in their DNA to continuously improve. To get the nutritional insurance I do with AG1, I'd have to take dozens of pills and tablets, some with food, others without. AG1 mixes well with water, and it tastes great. It's lifestyle-friendly. Keto, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, no chemicals or artificial anything. Simple. And when you start your day with a healthy habit, you prime your subconscious to do more of the same throughout the day. I could go on and on. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 40 plus. Again, that's Athletic greens.com forward slash 40 plus to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah. And so if someone wanted to address this uh, aging, particularly healthy Mm -hmm. aging of the brain, Mm -hmm. 
marrying yeah. ketosis with the Mediterranean diet mm -hmm. is sort of your prescription. Can you talk a right. little bit about why those would be so protective? For yeah, the brain? yeah. There have been um, hundreds of studies of the Mediterranean diet uh, and cognition. Uh, I think I found over 500 when I did a search on um, PubMed. And you know, basically, the standard American diet has gone in the junk food route, <laughs> ultra-processed foods, a lot of fructose, which is very harmful, uh, very inflammatory in cells, in many cells and tissues, um, you know, just not getting the right nutrients, not getting the right forms of vitamins. And, you know, with a Mediterranean diet, a whole food diet, like, you know, basically a whole food Mediterranean diet, um, you're eating whole grains, you know, um, legumes, you're eating, uh, it emphasizes fish more so than red meat. It doesn't completely eliminate red meat necessarily, but just suggests limiting uh, that uh, moderate amount of dairy and full fat dairy. Not This is not a fat-free, low-fat diet and emphasizes olive oil, healthy fats like olive oil and monounsaturated fats, you know, which are in olive oil. Nuts and seeds are very rich in them, avocados, a lot of foods like that that you can eat. The interesting thing about dairy fat well, human breast milk has medium chain triglycerides in it. The newborn goes into ketosis within hours. Uh, and a uh, newborn that is strictly breastfed goes into ketosis. They break down their fat, <laughs> which helps get through those first few days while the milk is trying to come in. And the breast milk does have medium chain triglycerides. So the, the newborn it gets quite a lot of its energy from ketones. And ketones, um, Dr. Kunain, again, he was studying newborns before he... He switched and started studying Alzheimer's. They found that that fatty acids are broken down into ketones. The ketones are the building blocks for lipids in the brain. And the, the brain's about 60 or 70% lipids, including cholesterol. And ketones are the building blocks for all of that. You know, so very, very important in the newborn. But um, yeah, so back to the diet. <laughs> anyway, dairy, fat, cow milk, goat milk. It also has uh, medium chain triglycerides in it. And you know, I think, you know, these days, even, you know, there's been this um, idea around for several decades, I think about 50 years now, American Heart Association, that we should eat a low-fat diet, avoid saturated fats. And and even now, like USDA, uh, what they prescribe for children, the women, the WIC program, Women's Infants and Children uh, Feeding Program, you know, for underprivileged uh, people has, uh, it emphasizes low-fat dairy, even for little children that are just coming off breast milk and breast milk's about 50% fat and more than half of it is saturated fat. And now, you know, we're supposed to eat a low fat, you know, fat-free diet, you know, even the dairy uh, in a, a, a tiny growing child whose brain is actively growing and, you know, lipids are accumulating very quickly in this brain. So, you know, basically, you know, the Mediterranean diet is, a um, it emphasizes healthy fats. It, it's not a low-fat diet, but you can get most of the vitamins and other nutrients that you need for healthy brain aging by eating a Mediterranean diet. So I, I like the idea, and and you know there are so many diets that can be adapted to a keto kind of a diet. You know, so basically, when you do a Mediterranean keto diet, you're using the principles of the Mediterranean diet, but eating more fat and less carbohydrate. So basically eating smaller portions 
I, I still remember the food pyramid from 1992. <laughs> base, I mean, oh my God, the base of the period was um, General Mills. Said, uh, of the pyramid, yeah. Well, it was. It was General, General Mills. Mills. <laughs> Six to eleven servings of of breads, pasta, you know, cereals, all of that a day. And I mean, at the time, I was overjoyed because, <laughs> you know, I was buying into this low fat hook line and sinker. But you know, I developed a really serious weight problem, and I was eating skim milk. I was eating these what I thought were healthy cereals with a lot of fiber and this kind of thing, you know. But it was a real, real struggle, you know, to. Um, not keep gaining weight, you know, counting every calorie. And yet, you know, the low, low fat diet is, you know, it's a nuisance because you crave, it's high carb. If you eat low fat, you're going to make up the calories with carbohydrates. And when you eat so much carbohydrate, it spikes your insulin level. And then when the insulin level comes back down, you get hungry again, you know, and you're constantly craving, thinking about your next meal and craving those sweets. And that's kind of where I was at for a lot of years. Until we switched to a Mediterranean diet. And within about three days, you know, I stopped craving, constantly thinking about what my next meal was going to be and craving sweets. It, it was really kind of amazing. But, you know, basically you just tweak, you know, what I tell people is, um, you know, when you look at the starchy foods, you know, um, bread, rice, pasta, cereals, you know, that type of thing. Uh, a lot of people don't want to give that up completely. And um, I think that's, I'm an older person now, so I'll say, okay, older people, you know, you get a little bit fixed in, you know, what your diet is like, and it's hard to completely give that up, you know, and you might not have to, you know, so I encourage people to reduce the carbohydrates, but kind of start with cutting portions in half of like bread, rice, pasta, and when you're used to that, cut it in half again, you know, so basically, you know, eating smaller portions, eating more healthy fats, and you know, for me, uh, coconut oil is a healthy fat. I've studied it, you know, quite a lot. And there are a lot of myths out there about coconut oil being artery clogging fat and all of that. You know, it's just isn't so. It was made up. It was a competitor with Crisco and other shortenings, you know, that looked very similar and had a long shelf life. And um, so they kind of put out these myths there that have uh, been perpetuated. But, but, you know, olive oil staying away from certain fats like, you know, oils that are reheated over and over, you know, a lot of fast food restaurants, they'll keep the same oil in their um, fryers for a week. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can testify to that. I, yes. I worked fast food when I was in college and yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, you, there's a standard for how often you're supposed to change it and that's even mm -hmm. too long. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, most managers will sit there and say, look, we can, you know, we're spending too much money on oil. So, one more day, scan, you know, yeah. scrape out and yeah. filter it, you know, get all the stuff out of it and take it for one more day. And right, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, and it's, it's, it's heated to a very hot temperature. You think about, you know, throwing French fries in there and how quickly they have to be or whatever you're, you're frying in it. And it, it creates a lot of toxic lipids that are very harmful for, for a long time until very, very recently. They were loaded with hydrogenated fats, trans fats. And, you know, this could have played very well into this Alzheimer epidemic that we were seeing, you know, these trans fats, every cell membrane is made up of lipids and it should be very fluid, the cell membrane. But when you add trans fats and they get into the cell membrane, which they do, makes the cell membrane stiff and the cell doesn't live as long. It's, it, it affects what's transported in and out of the cell. 
So a lot of problems. And and uh, fortunately, they've almost been banned from the U.S. They were kind of phased out between 2013 and 2018. And they're still allowed to have up to a half gram of trans fat per serving. So some manufacturers adjusted their serving size downward, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that they can still use some trans fat. And now they're exploring these fats where they remove, they still make them hydrogenated fats, but they're removing the trans fats. So it's still not really a normal fat, you know, in some of these foods that they're experimenting with. So, you know, just so many reasons to go with a whole food, <laughs> yeah. like a Mediterranean style diet, just many vitamins, minerals, other things. Like choline is a good example. Most people may not have ever heard of choline, but it's in uh, they might have heard of DHA, omega three fatty acids. But the um, omega three um, DHA um, attaches to choline, phosphatidylcholine, and it's a really important part of the cell membrane in the brain. Choline is also part of acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter that's involved with learning and memory. It's deficient in Alzheimer's disease. You know, so you want to get plenty of choline and, and that's something you can get, you know, with a Mediterranean diet, you know, um, it's in certain nuts, it's in animal meats, fish, you know, that type of thing. Eggs are really rich in, yeah, the, in the uh, yolk, choline. The yolk of choline. The yolk yeah, of the, the egg, yolk. <laughs> right. You don't, you don't throw away the yolk in the Mediterranean diet. You eat the yolk. It's just, it's full of so many good nutrients. And it increases HDL cholesterol. Some people still believe, you know, that go, oh, it increases your cholesterol. Well, it increases HDL cholesterol primarily. You know, that's, you know, basically, and, you know, eating this type of diet will help overcome insulin resistance. If you reduce the carbohydrate in the diet, and I, I kind of suggest trying to stay under 60 grams a day, you know, a lot of people might still want some carbohydrates. They might want more than that, maybe limiting the upper, you know, to 130 grams a day. And then including enough healthy fats in the diet, but under 60 grams, there's a good chance that you will be in ketosis much of the time, stay in ketosis. And then adding coconut and MCT oil can help sustain, you know, like a constant level of mild ketosis. They call it mild nutritional ketosis. And there are supplements out there too, ketone salts, the ketone ester that Dr. Veach was developing in the 1990s that's been out on the market really marketed to athletes, but a lot of people with neurological diseases are trying it. So that's out there. Ketone salts are out there. There's other ketone, all kinds of ketone products coming along. We didn't have access to any of that, but I knew about it, uh, you know, <laughs> as these things were being developed. And I, I think of those kind of supplements as like a way to further boost your ketone levels. It that it usually will sustain for three or four hours. And then it's kind of back to baseline again when you take a supplement. You know, I, I think of using MCT and coconut oil as part of the food to help sustain at least a baseline level of ketosis. And then for people that want to supplement, you know, they'll get a, a temporary boost, you know, in between. Now, we, we, call, we call ketosis uh, when you get your blood ketone level to 0.5 to basically around mm -hmm. five. And... Mm -hmm. You know, most most professionals out there, they're experts on it. Say you don't really want to spend too much time above five, right? Uh, but but for someone who feels like they're they're having some cognitive issues and wants mm -hmm. to or, or have family history of this happening around them, and so they just want to be careful, um, where would you say that they should sort of keep their ketone levels for the most part of the day? I'd say between uh, 0.5 and one, maybe one point five. 
a lot of people are having really good success, you know, with, you know, and people with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, you know, with mild nutritional ketosis. The higher range seems to be most effective for people that are dealing with epilepsy, drug-resistant epilepsy, people with cancer. You mentioned cancer at the beginning of, uh, of this, and there are quite a few studies going on, several dozen studies of using ketogenic diet as an adjunct to standard of care treatment for various types of cancers. It was uh, researched first for glioblastoma, which is uh, severe brain cancer. Most people don't survive more than six months from diagnosis. And it, it's really kind of amazing how the ketogenic diet seems to be able to slow down the growth of the cancer and even shrink tumors, obliterate, <laughs> get rid of metastases, you know, when it spreads to other parts of the body. And I have met, you know, uh, some people at conferences who have glioblastoma and they've been on a ketogenic diet for years now and have managed to survive, you know, so far. And they they do also get other treatment, uh, most, you know, people with cancer, but it, it kind of supports it. It seems to be effective for certain types of cancer and even possibly taking ketone ester. There's some animal research suggesting that, you know, that ketone ester could help before getting radiation, for example. And it can help shrink a tumor, make it smaller, which makes it more amenable to surgical removal. You know, if the two, if you can get a smaller tumor, like in the brain or whatever, um, it's being studied for breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, you know, many different types of cancer. There are uh, clinical trials going on now. Couldn't even say that a few years ago, but they, you know, these things are happening now. And the ketone ester, uh, Dr. Veach, um, he, even though he worked for the NIH, he was competing with thousands of other researchers for research dollars related to Alzheimer's disease. And he could not get funding for a clinical trial for Alzheimer's with this ketone ester. But now, finally, the National Institute of Aging does have a study that's in progress. It's supposed to finish in 2023. And it's they're studying 150 people. They're looking at all the different blood, spinal fluid, uh, imaging, biomarkers, you know, related to uh, cognitive impairment. And uh, it's people that have metabolic syndrome, which is prediabetes. And they're studying uh, their older people. I think they're between 50 and 70 years old and following them over time and uh, with the ketone ester. And they're taking pretty hefty doses of it. My husband, Steve, was actually the first person with Alzheimer's to use the, the uh, ketone ester in a clinical trial. It was a, a pilot study of one person. <laughs> and Dr. Veach picked Steve, you know, um, he felt, you know, I'm a doctor, I can monitor him. He felt very confident. And he literally sent us the, uh, this was in 2010, about two years after he started the coconut oil. And he sent us the raw material. It tasted horrible, <laughs> just horrible. <laughs> yes, and he did. told me, <laughs> figure out what to do with this, you know. And I tried all kinds of flavorings and everything, you know. And he would, Steve shuddered every time he took it, but he took it willingly. He knew he had Alzheimer's. He knew all about the ketone ester. It, it, you know, he was at a point where he had had some setbacks and, and it turned him around again, you know, very quickly. And he was very stable for another 20 months after that. And, you know, thanks to Dr. Veach, you know, I felt like we got nearly four extra better quality years than the year before he started the coconut oil. And, you know, what happened with Steve was that he, you know, one, I, I had a lady that stayed with him when I went to work and he hugged and kissed me goodbye, said he loved me. Five minutes later, she called me and she said he had um, fallen straight back, had a, a seizure 
It lasted 20 minutes. He stopped breathing. He turned blue. By the time I got home, I, I got there before emergency services got there. And he was still blue. He, was, he, he wasn't breathing very well. You know, he had another seizure on the way to the hospital. And, and I guess with his brain already so fragile from Alzheimer's, you know, the head injury and the seizure, lack of oxygen, um, he became completely dependent after that. And he would have a seizure periodically, even though he was on uh, anti-seizure medication and that kind of thing. And we, he continued to get the ketone ester and coconut oil. He lived another two and a half years. I, I really didn't dream he would live that much longer. And I, I think perhaps the ketogenic, <laughs> these things we were doing, you know, helped sustain him. And, you know, he, he remained very healthy weight. You know, he... A lot of people with Alzheimer's, they they become almost emaciated, you know, as time goes on. And he ate very well up until a couple of weeks before he passed away. And then he just, you know, went um, unresponsive just very, fairly suddenly. And um, and then we lost him a couple of weeks later. So he actually did die from Alzheimer's disease. And many people die with it, but from something else, a lot of elderly yeah. people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Steve was not in a condition where he could really exercise to enhance his program all that well. But for someone who is able mm -hmm. to do some exercise, yeah. uh, how does that help this process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exercise is, is very interesting. Uh, the Alzheimer's Association now, they have speakers uh, listen to their conference every year. And they say that somewhere between 30 or 40 percent of Alzheimer's may be preventable by modifiable Life by changing, you know, uh, your lifestyle, top being diet, eating a healthier diet, exercise is the second, is number two. Getting enough sleep is another one. Controlling blood pressure if you have high blood pressure. But exercise, an interesting thing about it is that it stimulates ketone production. That's just one of the benefits uh, that we know about. And uh, if you like, walk vigorously or elliptical, you know, something like that for 30 to 40 minutes, it will stimulate ketone production. Uh, this was actually discovered around the 1930s and it was studied very intensively for about 20 or 30 years. There were quite a few studies and they called it post-exercise ketosis. And basically the ketone level would increase kind of into that mild range, you know, uh, as we get with the MCT and coconut oil, and it would be sustained for eight or nine hours, you know, which is quite interesting. So, you know, exercise is another strategy. Some people, you know, as much as they try, they can't tolerate coconut and MCT oil, but ex exercise is a way to, you know, stimulate ketones. Overnight fasting is another great way to do that. And, Basically, if you fast overnight, you don't eat any solid food. You can still drink clear liquids without, you know, calories. About 10 to 12 hours after that, you deplete the glucose that's stored in the liver. And then you start breaking down fat and you start making some ketones. So you'll go into mild ketosis and the, the longer you extend the fast, the higher the ketone level will become. And some people kind of, they do... Some people call it bulletproof coffee. I guess that's one yeah. version of it. But you put coconut oil or MCT oil in your coffee or tea in the morning. Um, it's only fat and it, it actually increases, further increases your ketones. It will support. Uh, you can do that while you're on fast and it will just kind of enhance your ketosis at that point. So 
But but you know, there are a lot of people now that are doing a 12 to 16 hour overnight fast. They're basically skipping breakfast, maybe having the uh, coconut or MCT on their coffee and then, you know, having their first meal around 12 or 1 in the afternoon. They also call it time-restricted eating where you limit your eating to between a 6 and six and 10 hour window, you know, um, for me, I kind of am around a seven or eight hour window. I've been doing this for quite a long time. And, um, you know, I used to wake up hungry, want breakfast right away. And I've just, you just get used to it. You get used to it, and uh, you know, and it just, it's a, it's a way to kind of keep your brain healthy by providing ketones, you know, to your brain. Yeah, I, I usually have dinner uh, around seven o'clock, six thirty, seven o'clock. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm through eating before seven, mm-hmm. and then I won't eat until somewhere between twelve and two the next day. And mm-hmm. it's breakfast. I'm still making eggs and you know doing my thing. Yeah. But it's yeah. um, it's just become kind of my normal structure. I when I first get up, I I do other things. I don't I don't necessarily eat straight away because I'm not really hungry. And I think that's the other thing when you really get to a point where you're using ketosis mm-hmm. uh, appropriately. You, those hunger cues mm-hmm. are a lot easier to pick up on and you don't just eat because it's the habit of, oh, well, it's, mm-hmm. it's breakfast. I just woke up. I have to eat something. Right. It, it actually gets a little easier when your body's burning fat for energy because yes. I got plenty. I got plenty. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I know. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you you wrap this all up. The book is excellent, by the way. Thank and, you. And you, you wrapped it up with a uh, plan. I call it, you call it the Clearly Keto Whole Food mm-hmm. Mediterranean mm-hmm. Style Diet. Love yeah. every every word of that. Uh, oh, thank you. I love every word of that. <laughs> it's, it's a really good, clear, easy thing to do. You also have mm-hmm. recipes in the book. So you've... Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. pretty much soup to nuts made it to where yeah. someone that wants to work on their brain health using ketosis mm-hmm. and the Mediterranean diet, it's there. Uh, yeah. So the book is called Clearly Keto. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone wanted to learn more about you, Dr. Newport, mm-hmm. or the book, uh, where would you like for me to send them? I have a website. It's coconutketones.com. And that's um, C-O-C-O-N-U-T-K-E-T-O-N-E-S. There's no Y in ketones. Uh, Dot com and um, you can see uh, links to my books. There's all kinds of information. I've been, I've had this website since late 2008, and it, I've just been slowly accumulating all kinds of information. I have a, a page of scientific articles. You know, with um, there are, are many studies now with MCT oil, but mostly smaller to medium studies. Larger studies are in progress. You know, a lot of information. You know, scientific reports about the ketone esters and salts and you know, ketones in general, Dr. Kunain's research, you know, is on there. Um, I've written some articles about how to use things like uh, coconut and MCT oil and uh, ketone salts, ketone esters, you know, but basically there's, there's a whole lot of information that people can find there. And, you know, my books are available. My publisher is Turner Publishing. They, uh, the last I looked, they had a pretty good um, price, uh, pretty comparable, or maybe even a le- little less than Amazon, you know, for ordering my book. But Amazon, all the major book sites, you know, have, are carrying the, the book to pre-order right now. And, you know, I do have other books before that, um, that, three other books that I've written. This one is kind of more back to Alzheimer's again. And and it goes beyond, I, I would say the first half of the book is is all about, you know, ketogenic strategies, Mediterranean diet, keto. But there's a whole lot of other things, other things to do and other things to avoid, you know, um, that are not necessarily related to ketones. A lot of, you know, certain foods and not overdoing certain supplements 
that could be harmful. And then uh, the last chapter is took me 10 months to write. It was the first chapter I wrote, but I thought if if I put this first in the book, nobody will ever get to the rest of the book. <laughs> but it's very sciencey. It's um it's all about what goes wrong in the Alzheimer brain. You know, I I all the different pathologies, how so many of them are connected to insulin, insulin resistance. I was really kind of astounded myself, you know, how much of this is related to insulin and lack thereof. You know, like those plaques and tangles, insulin resistance seems to promote formation of plaques and tangles, but the plaques and tangles themselves seem to promote more insulin resistance. It's like vicious cycles. And it kind of, to me, explains why Alzheimer's is progressive. You know, you have this this constant vicious cycles of uh, related to insulin and insulin resistance, and it's just a downhill path, you know, from there. It just gets worse and worse over time. So that's for, um, you know, uh, readers who are really interested in the science as well. I think of it as a bonus <laughs> chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I, um, I geeked out. Yeah. I geeked out. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, you Thank can go you. to 40 plus fitness podcast.com forward slash five, six, eight, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Dr. Newport, thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Oh, you are very welcome. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on your program again, Alan. This has been wonderful. Thank you for this discussion. Thank you. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. This was a really amazing interview. Um, A couple of things just hit me right off the bat. It's um, quite tragic that her husband was only 51 when he started to experience some Alzheimer's dementia symptoms, which kind of hit me hard because I'm 51. But um, but it was hard to see him progress. And and it's so true, you know, like cancer, I think we all have someone in our lives that might be touched with Alzheimer's or dementia, which we are. I've been watching my aunt decline and it's a it's a tragic disease to watch it unfold. But there is some things that we can do about it, isn't there? Yeah. Well, the, the base point I want to bring up is that she brought up that he had early what they call early onset. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's important. That's an important delineation in this because it used to be that you really didn't see a lot of people with Alzheimer's until they were well into their 70s and 80s. And so it was a very uncommon disease to see when we were younger, uh, like 51. And, you know, the same thing happened with type 2 diabetes. Okay. So they used to have type 1 diabetes, which is where your body kind of your beta cells start to die out and then you don't create insulin. So you you have to start taking insulin because your pancreas just can't create enough or actually stops creating it at all. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes. But they stopped calling it that when kids started getting diabetes. Wow. Okay. So mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is definitely a lifestyle-related issue where we're looking at diet and people who are eating excess sugar and excess refined carbs are getting these diseases earlier. Now, I'm not saying that's what uh, Dr. Newport's husband did, but there's definitely a problem with our food and our lifestyles. And, you know, a lot of these things are shifting and they're happening earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. And it could be just anything. It could have been toxins he was associated with at one point or another that were outside his control. Could have been some things that were within his control. We'll just mm-hmm. never really know. Right. But like you said with Mike, 
if we're doing the things we need to do to take care of ourselves, we're limiting our risk. And that's really mm-hmm. all we can do in this whole math of getting older and avoiding disease is to just do things that lower our risks. And I can mm-hmm. tell you a whole food, clean diet uh, that's giving you all the nutrients your body needs, exercising regularly, sleeping well, uh, having great relationships, all the self-care stuff, mm-hmm. uh, managing stress. All of those are really, really important uh, aspects of health that if you're just doing what you can in each of those areas, you're going to not just feel and perform better, but you're giving your body a more resilience to be able to mm-hmm. keep these things from happening or at least happening early. I mean, because that's right. the other side of it. We don't know, but you know, it's why is it why is it why is early onset happening? And I haven't mm-hmm. really heard any good answers. Uh, but obviously, from what you've heard in this episode, uh, mm-hmm. by switching to a ketogenic diet, he was able to extend the length and quality of his life. Which, you know, again, I'm not going to say this is a scientific study, but there's more studies happening because Mary mm-hmm. and Dr. Newport shared his story. And scientists became very interested in what was going on there. Uh, there'll be more studies to say, could this have actually prevented Alzheimer's from ever occurring? Um, so those are some things to think about. It's not yeah. that the keto diet is the best diet. Don't, don't get me wrong. Keto, ketosis <laughs> is a tool. Yes. Uh, but really, I, I believe, and you know, we've had some different conversations in the last several months about metabolic flexibility. Mm-hmm. And then again, just avoiding junk. Right. I think well, those two things are really mm-hmm. the keys to health here. Well, like she said, better diet, better exercise, better sleep. It's better. Like make better choices. Do you have to be perfect 100% of the time? No. I mean, we've got Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, holidays are around the corner. There's time to celebrate. There's time to enjoy your home cooked foods and, and family traditions, but just make better choices most of the time. And and absolutely, there's nothing good with sugar. There's nothing, no nutrients and refined flours. Just do what you can when you can. It doesn't have to be perfect. I agree. Yeah, great. Great all interview. All right, well, Rachel, I'll talk to you all next week. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Tyler Dolly and discuss regenerative farming and food quality. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.